Welcome, Mistorians. Host Austin Heave She and host Brenda She Her have been waiting for you. Come along for Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries. everyone welcome to episode 103 dalmatians of secret histories okay i need to ask you brenda how long can we do there's not a four right there's not a hundred and four well no well there's not even a hundred no i was like wait a second look jokes come in threes oh okay is that how they how that's worded i don't think so rule of threes the rule isn't that for bad things for what that's for bad things it's not oh well okay yes it is but no comedy also like it's like it's got to be in threes there's a comedy rule that says like it's threes is good like threes is the magical number like it's funny if it's threes okay bad things also come in threes (laughs) but in this case that's not it it's the comedy thing that says like here i'm gonna look this up i'm gonna i'm gonna rule of threes Okay, a storytelling principle that suggests people better understand concepts, situations, and ideas in groups of three. <laughs> okay. I, I, tr- I Listen, I trust you intrinsically. You didn't have to fact check. So my thought was the joke will be funniest if I do it a third time, and even more funny if you're a Dalmatian enthusiast such as myself, and you know that there are not 103 Dalmatians. That's so valid. I mean, are, technically, are there? How, okay, how many puppies are there is it 101 dalmatians in total including pongo and perdita or is it 101 puppies plus pongo plus perdita which would add to 103 dalmatians you know i mean both are mathematically correct they don't specify if they're counting the puppies or all of the dogs that are dalmatians in the production there's definitely a solid amount of puppies there's a set amount of puppies. I have to say, I love that they were like 101 Dalmatians and they named like 10 of them and they're like, that's enough. You get the idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, more of them have names because there's Lucky, Rolly. This is a pop quiz. You will, be, there is a, there, you will be good. <laughs> okay. I know like, okay. So there's, I know like random extra Dalmatians. Like there's right, like there's Cad like, Pig. There's like the show where they were like, here's more of yeah. them. <laughs> And then there's like an extra book because these are based on right. books. There's an extra book called The Twilight Bark in which the dog, all the people on Earth Hello? go to sleep. And the dog, <laughs> yeah, yes, no, this is the plot. This is the plot of this, the real sequel to 101 Dalmatians. All of the people on Earth are asleep and the Dalmatians are like, what? Because all dogs are still awake? Just dogs. Cats and other animals are also asleep. So everything but dogs are asleep. So the do- And then the dogs start developing like magical powers. They're like floating around and shit and like um, and then they find out that there's like a message from Sirius the dog star where they want like all of the dogs to travel into space and create dog society. <laughs> I am not kidding. This what is the real. Fuck? <laughs> I know. I'm gonna cry. What do you mean? What do you? (laughs) 
just imagine your little Brenda at the Scholastic Book Fair, and there's a book on there called The Starlight Barking, and it says, like, this is the real sequel of 101 Dalmatians, and you, being a 101 Dalmatians aficionado, are like, oh, hell yeah. And then you get it, and you're like, what the fuck is happening? I need to know what is going why on. Was, why was the Walt Disney Company cowards and didn't put that out as a sequel? I know. There's, like, several sequels that they've made. That are not in canonical, like, okay, so there's 102 Dalmatians, which is 102 Dalmatians is a sequel to the live action movie. And then there's 101 Dalmatian Patches London Adventure, which is (laughs) the sequel to the animated, yes, this is real, sequel to the animated movie. So it's like, but they've never adapted. Not a single child besides you in the whole world understood. Like, you're telling me, and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Because, like, as a kid, as a kid, they fucking played 101 Dalmatians and then 102 Dalmatians on Disney all the time. They didn't, they didn't make that distinction at all. No. Um, And then, like, so, like, Patches London Adventure came out, like, late 2000s. It's one of the Disney animated sequels, but it's, like, one of the ones that is, like, actually good. Oh, I didn't watch it. It's good. I've watched it. I have um, Disney Store. Of course you I'm a Dalmatian aficionado. I have (laughs) have Dalmatian lithographs from the Disney Store, because when you used to, like, pre-order movies from the Disney Store, you would get lithographs. (laughs) Yeah. You're in deep. Any. Yeah, anyway, this episode is not in any capacity about no, Dalmatians. No, I can't, I can't stress enough. <laughs> no, no more mentions of Dalmatians. That joke is over. I promise you're never going to see it again. I Until give my Brenda word. Until 102 Dalmatians start a <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, they want, listen, last thing, last thing. You want to compete with All Dogs Go to Heaven? It's right fucking there, guys. Yeah, it's very, like, All Dogs Go to Heaven-esque. Or maybe they didn't because of All Dogs Go to Heaven. They're like, well, that'll look, mm. Maybe, yeah. It, it makes sense. They'd be like, oh, no, dogs in space, heavens in space. <laughs> oh, no. As, as as the resident Christian, heaven is in space, everybody. That's exactly where we put heavens, heavens in, space. in space. Become an astronaut. You could you can, you can skip yep. the line. You, you can, can just, just skip it. the line. <laughs> you can just go up there. You see all those dogs up There's there. There's a lot of dogs. All the watches that the... The pink dog, whatever the hell the pink dog is, <laughs> all dogs go to heaven. She's up there. Her evil sister from the the from animated series, all dogs go to heaven. Yeah, from dog hell. The, from the all dogs go to heaven animated. Series. All dogs go to heaven is so sorry. We have to move on. All dogs go to heaven is such a is a biz, yeah. such a bizarre thing. Be like, yeah, dogs die what things die yeah but don't worry they go to heaven what the fuck are you talking about i'm six they all go to heaven but you will actually almost see this one dog go to hell <laughs> then like carface the, the bad dog that murders charlie yeah. we see it happen he goes to heaven yes. too until he he has, he ends up in yeah. hell i don't remember how he ends up in hell he makes a deal with dog satan because he hates charlie that much oh yeah it's not dog Satan, it's cat Yeah, Satan. sorry. Satan is cat. Uh, but yeah, he he hates Charlie that much. He's like, yeah, but he, I'm he not dog. He fucking hates him. But then he gets redeemed in the All Dogs Go to Heaven Christmas Carol yes. special. Yes. Where he learns the meaning of Christmas and caring and... Um, he gets to go to heaven a second time. A second time. You can just... You can, <laughs> we gotta go. Gotta we gotta move on. on. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna head into our new segment. Oh, God. Love it news okay austin i've not told you this week what the news is no about. you just said you had news i was just like i found news and you were like good enough yeah. 
I trust Brizzy intrinsically. So the news this week is YouTuber Jello Apocalypse. <laughs> That's a fucking name. I know. I am not a YouTuber. Known for his, so this is basically series of animation, has gone under fire for putting an anime dub he worked on as a localizer under blast. This, um, this is wild. This is like, this is some niche news here. Like, mm-hmm. this is. Just absolutely bonkers. Okay, so Jello Apocalypse, actual name Brendan Blaber. Blaber. That is too close to your first B-L-A- name. I, I, I know it say, is. I did type my I name. I thought you were say Brenda, and I was like, hello? <laughs> no, his name is Brendan, last name Blaber. Blaber. Blor, B-L-A-B-E-R. Blaber. Yeah, that guy. He was working on a localization as a writer for the dub script of a 2007 shoujo anime called Lovely Complex. Oh. I'd never, I'd never heard of the series. Yeah. The art style's like, you know, that very like 2000s-ish. Yeah, it's, it's pretty 2000s shoujo, shoujo kind of. Yeah, I know it's Lovely Complex. Yeah. Okay, you know Lovely Complex. Yeah, people do know this yeah. series. People, some people really like this yeah. series. There are dozens of us. This is not the same as like Ghost Stories, which Ghost Stories is infamous for having oh, like yeah. a completely nonsensical dub. They said fuck uh, it. And there's, there's. <laughs> They, yeah, they just yeah, and there's reasons for yeah. it. Like you know, like the show didn't turn out very well. They didn't really have like any scripts to go off of. There's reasons yeah. for why that dub is the way it is. But generally nowadays, we don't dub things like that because we have resources yes. now. <laughs> Lovely Complex got a DVD release in 2012 through the anime distributor Discotech, uh, but it didn't have a dub on it. Yeah, discotheque. Subs are expensive. Yes. They're like hard to coordinate. You got to get everything together. It's like they just didn't have the resources mm-hmm. or the demand mm-hmm. to dub it at the mm-hmm. time. So they released it with just subtitles and then they had the rights. Then recently, this company called Sound Cadence got the rights from discotheque to create the dub. So discotheque still has distribution rights, but Sound Cadence has the rights to make it like make a dub mm-hmm. sound cadence has worked on a, quite a few dubs i was looking at like what they've worked mm-hmm. on they've worked for funimation mm-hmm. they've done other dubs for discotech they've also done audio recording for video games like borderlands 3 so they're not like a nothing company and this dub was lovely complex was like really near and dear to the heart of someone who worked at the company mm-hmm. who really wanted to do a dub for mm-hmm. it this was like a labor of love mm-hmm. kind of thing this is where brendan comes in <laughs> and walks jello apocalypse <laughs> he was working as a localizer mm-hmm. supposedly for free which is like hey one company should not be asking you to work no. for free i get that there's not a lot of money in anime and that they're always looking to cut corners and stop paying people do not work, for, don't free. work for free i get that you want to put your foot in the door don't work for free. get your foot in the door yeah don't work for free do not no matter who it's for especially if it's someone hey, that you we respect. don't even do this for free anymore and then jello apocalypse released this blog post on his patreon mm-hmm. this absolutely long blog it's so yeah. long this really long blog post and in this blog post, and I'm going to read like a couple segments from this, but he referred to Lovely Complex as the grandmother of the shoujo genre, mostly because it's old. Oh, that's not accurate. Seven is when the anime was released. The manga started coming out in 2000. It's like not very old at all. Shoujo is no. very, very old. <laughs> I am pretty sure this guy is our age. Let me double Incredible. check that. Brendan. Brendan. Yeah, Blaber. shoujo as a... Okay, I guess... If you want to go off of like when the shoujo magazine started, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking like when shoujo beat came out. And shoujo beat is the 2000s, mm-hmm. but there was yeah. shoujo happening before then. It's easily like God, like 1900s. Shoujo beat started getting published in 2005, 
And the first exclusively shoujo magazine was Shoujo Kai, first mm-hmm. published in 1902. Yeah, yeah. And then it was followed by like a ton of others that yeah. were just coming out like every year. I also looked up what Brandon Blaber's age is. Mm-hmm. 30. He's 30. He was born 1994. Incredible. So full, too grown. It, you should know better. Three. Yeah, uh, absolutely bonkers. So it, it gets more bonkers from mm-hmm. here. So he goes on to like rag on the entire series. He calls the main, <laughs> one of the main characters a psychopath. Not like, this, not a man ranking on a shoujo. <laughs> Tell me something new. I know. I'll play a new song. He's like, he absolutely hates their dynamic. The, the premise of Lovely Complex is that the girl is tall, the boy is yes. short. Which like now we can kind of like make fun of that. But if you like think like culturally, like 2000s, like it was, it was yeah. more of a big deal. It's not a big deal, but it was more of a thing like, oh my God, you're dating a, a short guy. What? Yeah. You have to think of it in the context of the time. I was like, without Lovely Complex, you don't get things coming out. Like coming out soon is Otome. It's Otome. It might be Otome Complex, but the idea <laughs> is like a tomboy and like a femboy are the pairing, which again is like, I don't know how gender forward it is in the book, but it's like, we don't do that if they don't like have Lovely Complex, which is like a very simplified version of that. Yeah. And you get like a lot of those kind of like, quote unquote, odd couples, like even like Tamaki and Haruhi from Oran High School mm-hmm. Host Club. You know, Japan was kind of pushing gender norms. Mm-hmm. and it, It's culturally significant. And you have to be conscious of that, especially when you're dubbing something that at this point now would be a period piece of that era. Yeah. yeah so his way of like making the series better was to be like their relationship is inherently toxic. Not I made this Japanese media better. <laughs> as a yeah exactly as a no, white american man. <laughs> yeah 30 year old white american man Ugh. i improved it <laughs> i improved it everybody you're uh, welcome woof he's just like this is awful like i have to make it better it's it's like dude your job is not to make this better yeah. your job is to translate it and there's like a lot of like local localizing is a hot button topic in the anime community yeah. where like if a subtitle deviates from like the original meaning in any capacity, even it's just to like make it easier to understand for people who aren't like mm-hmm. very well versed on the Japanese language. Yeah. People like throw a fit. People they absolutely throw a fit. They lose their minds. Jesus. <laughs> they lose their mind. The blog post itself is very long and very hard to read. But I feel like I need to read you this section really quick because this this is how Brendan feels about the manga cub behind the oh, scenes. Oh no. So I am now <laughs> quoting his blog. Yeah, this is this is awful. <laughs> I'm now quoting like what he oh, said. Oh no! Uh oh. Yeah. So he's so Brendan says this is one of those series that was written by a very strange person, kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey, and it just gets stranger and stranger the longer you look into it. The way all the characters talk and interact is wrong. The way Risa is painted as the good guy, despite makes. This is it's written wrong. Despite makes exclusively bad decisions, makes everything feel like it's written by a woman with I hate drama in her Twitter bio and then five separate call out tweets right below it. You get the sense the author sees the world the same way as Risa Koizumi does. And Risa Koizumi as a character only makes sense if she's a psychopath who does not understand human empathy. Of note, the mangaka also makes a cameo in the final episode of the anime. She shows up as a fashion designer and everybody praises how pretty and talented she is. She then tells Risa, it's my job to make you look good. I think you failed, ma'am. Lenti was the head writer on this and all their depictions were final. But I did tell them that if we didn't cut the characters praising the mangaka out of that episode in our dub, I would quit the co-writing position on the spot. End paragraph. 
yo what yeah right i would also like to say like that last comment about cutting the mangaka's comments out of the dub that did not happen they are in the dub none of his changes actually got made (laughs) i'll quit right now okay didn't happen (laughs) see ya yeah, so it looks like a lot of these changes he's like boasting about didn't actually get implemented because the people dubbing it liked the series. Here. Well, if you walk in and be like, we it's have to deranged. we have to cut this entire scene, but we have to cut this entire scene and interaction out or I'm walking. See ya. Have a good day. <laughs> Bye. It's like, that's not your job. And you're not. Being <laughs> you <kidding>. literally don't <laughs> actually work here. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're you're doing this, but like you're. You don't get no. anything. Why do you care so much? I'll quit. <laughs> you quitting or not quitting has no has l- actually zero effect on this production. <laughs> yeah. So both Discotech and Sound Cadence have said that they will not be working with the Jet Low Apocalypse again. Yeah. No shit. How do you toast your whole career? <laughs> wow. 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 I don't think I've ever felt. Wow. I was so right that I could walk in and say, we need to change this or I quit in my whole life, actually. And I've been pretty right. I've been pretty right a lot. And I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever been. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had enough conviction. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm one, on one hand, I'm guessing like, at least you have conviction for your absolutely deranged ideas, I guess. Like, at least you're like, I feel that strongly, you know, but yeah. that at least is it's- like, is it like takes your score from like a negative 400 to like a negative 200 it's still bad it's just it's like it's like conviction check it's like very normal for the mangaka to show up as someone yeah and like just to complain and be like she says she did a good job and she didn't like you don't get to critique (laughs) girls fashion in the 2000s what the hell i don't know what to tell you you literally don't have the credentials to critique this manga you're not japanese you're not you're not a girl in the no, 2000s. Don't, I don't know what to you say, don't, man. You clearly have no media literacy whatsoever. I hope he enjoyed taking his L and moves on. Uh, he won't, but I hope he does. Most. most. Yeah. Most. Like, you, we Disgusting. have to do it this way. That's not how you make things in collaboration. Well, that was the news this week. <laughs> That's my Fraser breakdown. Uh, <laughs> we cannot use the Fraser Brack background. They will get us. I know you can't use the Seinfeld one and you can't use the Frasier one. They'll they get will you. Find like, you. Absolutely. I don't know what kind of they will bot find they you. have to track for that audio, but they will get you. I'll be right back. <laughs> Jerry's, Jerry's going to get you in the. Jerry's going to get you. <laughs> The following are real reenactments of pretend emergency calls. 
Uh, well, you say the only real place to get quality entertainment for children under the age of 10 or so is PBS. And that window is very limited for mm-hmm. what yes. they can watch. And it's a very limited number of options. That's, that's pretty much it. It's PBS and Nickel- people also like Nickelodeon at this time. By the end of 1990s, we've talked about many times the Children's Television Act gets passed or the CTA. Yes. Uh, that's if you don't know what that is. It's a it's a whole thing. It's essentially I don't know if you, if you are our age, if you're in your 30s or older or, or a little bit younger if you're in your like 25 and up you may remember cartoons started putting that little ei in the corner that's what the cta did they had to air enough content of that the only places that didn't <laughs> were pbs and nickelodeon they were both trusted which is wild the law literally the law when it was first written literally says pbs and nickelodeon you don't have to moving forward to 1996 nickelodeon wanted to push even further to create a new type of entertainment for preschoolers They would gather researchers, child psychologists, academics, TV producers, you name it, like the full game, but they're like a full press, like full court press, like a PBS production, right? Where PBS would always bring in Mm -hmm. like, we want to make a new show. Let's get experts and creatives in one room and figure out what we can make. Yeah. Do you know what aired September 8th, 1996? 96? Blue's Clues. Yes. I knew it. Blue's Clues was a new type of programming it was interactive right like mm-hmm. steve talked to you and you could talk back and steve would answer to some varying degree as you got older you realized you could say whatever you wanted and steve was gonna do what he wants because it's a tv show yeah but is it true did blue really bring in a new era of television programming was blue the first we're gonna find out <gasps> was blue the first blue's clues wasn't innovation for its time like a lot of other prominent preschool shows, it brought in not just creatives, but like researchers, child development specialists. One of the advisors on Blue's Clues was like the head professor for the childhood development program at University of Boston. So like from the beginning, they were like, we need to do this really good. The creators are listed as Todd Kessler, Angela C. Santomero, and Tracy Page. Todd Kessler is brought on because Todd Kessler had worked on Sesame Street and was already a freelance producer for Nickelodeon. Kessler left Sesame Street because he found it was like too static. At the time, Sesame Street is very different than what it is now, or even what it was when we were growing up. Angela Santamero was brought on and she was the researcher. Santamero was a researcher inspired by Mr. Rogers to research child psychology. And Tracy Page was the artist and animator for the project, was like the lead animator. Projects not animated by one person. Tracy was like the character designer, background designer, like came up with all the ideas and then like led the animators for what they were doing. When Mm -hmm. they started, this was like their first show. They never run a project. And this is meant to be like when they were brought on in 93 is when they started. I want to say this was like, we want this to be our like a big new flagship show. So for one month, they met every day in a conference room at Viacom headquarters in New York. People don't realize Viacom is the parent company of Nickelodeon. Yeah, they're the one who took down my Garfield. <laughs> Brenda has personal beef with Viacom. Nick said they wanted a show that treated kids like they were smart, treated kids like they were helpful, but still moved slow and was simple enough for kids to follow. The show originally was going to be called Blue Prince, like blue space prints like blueprints but when they did Uh the tester uh footage for the show kids just started calling it blues clues because (laughs) because there was a dog named blue and it left clues like kids just like they when they got asked questions about it after they did the tester footage and stuff and they were like what is it blues prints like oh yeah blues clues was a good show wait what (laughs) how are you not 
like appreciating the nuance of this yeah. name. Kids like what? what the what? dog is, is adults blue. like it's like a blue print. Yeah, her her paw prints leave the clues. It's blues. It's blues is clueses. As I I assume how the kids talked about them, right? Like, <laughs> did you know blue was originally going to be a cat? What? Yeah, blue's going to be a cat. We were wrong. I'll say it. I don't think Blue's Clues would have had the same staying power if it was a cat. That's cat phobic. Uh, hey, listen, I have two cats. I'm just being, I'm being real. I know what the American public responds to, okay? Give Periwinkle their own show. <laughs> I don't remember Periwinkle's gender. <laughs> yeah, Blue was going to be a cat, but they scrapped it because they were working on something else that was going to have a cat. That show never came out. I couldn't, I was like, what show was that was going to have a cat was also in production at Nick. And I was like, I can't find a thing. My brain and the internet both were like, we don't know of a cat show at Nickelodeon. Like a cat show specific. I'm like, was it, they're going to re-air Garfield? Like, what do you mean there was a cat show in production? Educational Garfield. <laughs> Can you imagine? How would how it's like would that exactly go? it's exactly Blue's Clues. Okay. You know, uh-huh. like John is like Steve mm-hmm. and like Odie is like magenta. <laughs> but like <laughs> we learn lessons about different types of food and eating food in moderation, because when Garfield eats too much lasagna, he gets a tummy That's ache. So valid. Oh, I don't want a tummy ache. That's yeah, you know right? what? You did it. Hey, Viacom, that one's not free. Mm-hmm. We'll get you this time. It's not free. <laughs> don't work for free everybody <laughs> but they scrapped it uh they also decided they wanted blue to be a, a female dog not a male dog because a lot of other shows were led by like male either characters hosts or cartoon characters i think blue being a girl had the best intentions but kids do not get no. it kids never no. even with bluey nowadays kids no, do not get it not even a little bit <laughs> Like my cousin's kids, we got one of them a bluey mm-hmm. plush for Christmas, and they were just like talking about the plush, and they were like, "Oh, he blah 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 blah," and like his dad yeah, was Bluey's like, a girl. "Bluey's a girl." No, where's the bow? There's actually I found a New York Times article that talked about like that blue was a girl despite never wearing a bow. That was like a rule they had for the show. They never wanted blue to like wear a girl thing. Yeah, and she never, she never does because <laughs> I mean because she is a dog, and I I get it. There is mm-hmm. no reason for her to have a random hair bow. We have coded no. 99% of other media for kids, though, to be very like, this is the girl one. She has boobs and a bow for no yeah. reason. And eyelashes. <laughs> for no. So when you when you get like the one thing that doesn't like Blue's Clues or the new blue dog, Bluey, they're like, what? But it's funny because like, dude, they, they get like Chili's a girl. Yeah. They get the bingos a yeah. girl. <laughs> like it's so weird. It's so weird. It's just because Bluey's blue. That's, it's hilarious. <laughs> Damn. Blue's clues is uh hit is like not a good enough word whatsoever. Phenomenon. It's huge. A, mo- a movement. Movement, the moment, the cultural icon is blues clues. Like, can't be touched. Blues clues for its premiere was the highest rated premiere of any Nickelodeon program throughout the 1990s. <gasps> the show's premiere date is it premiered on Nick at night. What? The, Why? I, I have no idea. I was like, oh yeah. Like I was, it was like the highest. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. That's the highest premiere date. Cause like Nick Jr. Was like also technically like, like I went to school. I was a morning kid. And so I'm like, that's interesting that the premiere date was so high. Cause like, it's like if, if half the preschoolers are at school, then like, are they counting the rerun they played for when the morning kids got home for the afternoon before nap time? Or yeah, I was like, I wonder how they counted that. No, 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 no. They premiered it on Nick at night first, 
so they could have like a clean date before like throwing it on to Nick Jr. when it was just like whenever kids are around sort of thing. But it's like, wouldn't kids be asleep? I guess. Like what hey, time does Nick? I guess not. <laughs> I guess it's like a special like, oh, there's a new show we should stay up. Kind Maybe. Of thing? I don't know. I don't when did know. Nick of Night start? A Nick at Night. <sighs> When I was little, it felt really late, but I have no, because like when I was little, I'm like, oh, it was like 10 o'clock, but I don't think it was that. I think Nick and Night used to start pretty early. Like, I feel hmm. like it used to be like six or seven, because I remember when I got a little. Yeah, maybe it was. When I got a little older, it'd be like Nick at Night. I'd be like, oh, it's going to be old people shows. It's going to be full Yeah, house. oh man. I <laughs> hate it when it was full. Freshman's Bel Air? Sure. Yeah. Family Matters? Sure. sure. Full House? Oh my god. Oh, again. They're going to hide. Once on Cartoon Network. Oh, it's the weird adult. It was like when Adult Swim was weird, and I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what is happening? It's too many colors. I don't want to go to sleep yet, but this is weird, and I don't want to watch Full House. <laughs> I don't like this weird mouse. It's <laughs> a reference to 20 ounce mouse. Oh God, that show was so weird. Like bad weird. It, how does, it, ugh, how did it get me? I don't, listen, sometimes you have too much money from Ted Turner and you just do it. Yeah, it looks like trash. It sounds like trash. I hate it. Nick and I started at 8 p.m. Eastern. So that's, okay. I mean, blues because are half an hour. That's pushing it, don't. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of kids like go to bed at seven, right? Yeah, I mean, I know some kids go to bed at eight, like at eight. Mm-hmm. At eight, so yeah. It's hard because like the data on like it being the highest premiere is like is like something that Nick has said in interviews at the time. So mm-hmm. like I don't have the hard data from like what date are they pulling from because they're just saying internally. They're not saying like of any preschool programming or anything like that. They're just saying like for us, it was the highest rated premiere. But it listen, it worked. It hey, Blues Clues cultural icon i feel like nickelodeon is becoming a household name for our generation it's like blues clues yeah like blues clues pulled me into nick that's i was watching blues clues and gullah gullah island that's why i was a nickelodeon at all remember back in the day people subscribed to channels right your cable provider made it like a bundle but you technically subscribed to that channel how mm-hmm. many subscribers do you think blues clues were, was helping nick jr well nickelodeon as a whole channel pull in by the 2000s Five hundred thousand. Ninety million. Oh my god! <laughs> Nickelodeon is what? running with the bag. They also have seven out of the top ten preschooler shows are on Nick Jr. And also by this time period, Blue's Clues has made over twenty billion dollars in licensed product material. Ooh, it is two thousand and six. It has been out for ten one in one decade. It has made twenty billion. Twenty billion is so many billions, and it's still going, still going. strong at this yeah. point. This is two thousand six. We're not even close to slowing down. No, it's like Joe hasn't even shown no. up. We're not. We're done not yet. even close. We have so long. <laughs> like two thousand and six. I don't even know if that's like peak. Some of the other shows that were in the top seven out of ten were Dora the Explorer, Go Diego Go, Wonder Pets, Backyardigans. Okay. Are some of the other shows that were like original Nickelodeon shows, not things that they had syndication rights to. I don't know if I need to explain what Blue's Clues is. I realize I didn't. (laughs) I don't think you need to. We've also done like an entire episode about the Blue's Clues movie. So if anyone's confused go listen to that episode we don't do episodes like that anymore so enjoy, enjoy it. it it's a hey it's a fun musical blues has had two musicals look at her go look at her go musical icon blue blue from blue's clues 
I realize I hadn't mentioned it, but just the style of how how Blue's Clues was set up to interact with kids was like innovative for its time. Steve, the mm-hmm. original host of Blue's Clues, would go be like, hey, kids, how are you? And then he would like wait for you to say something at home like, oh, yeah, that's good. Today I'm doing, you know, whatever. And be yeah. like, oh, man, I need to find my swim trunks to go to the pool of Blue. Can you help me? And then... Blue would leave paw print clues all over the house because she didn't wipe her fucking feet. Her feet are actually ink pads. She can kind of That's like so true. Um, like siphon. She's like a an extraterrestrial being, but anyway, she can like <laughs> siphon ink into her paws, and that's how she leaves the print. Steve would be like, "Can you help me?" And you go into a new scene, and you see a clue. You shout at him, and he, "Oh wow, he found it! I helped." It was really good. It was it was very new. It was very fresh. Mm-hmm. This way of interacting with children as the audience, making them act participants, treating them like they were smart and helpful and they could do stuff that adults couldn't it was so popular that in 2002 that's when sesame street started changing its format to what we recognize it as ah so is this around the time when like elmo's world yeah this is like you get elmo's world World. and like the them talking at you they have more segments because like Mm -hmm. sesame street was like you watch them do stuff and then they started adding segments where they talk at you elmo's world is a huge one i was like dance with me do you see this like that sort of stuff from Nick itself, like you get shows like Dora the Explorer, Go Diego Go, where like mm-hmm. it's the exact same format of Dora needs your help to solve this. Dora needs your help to get away from yeah. swiping a fox. If you do not help Dora, that fox is going to steal all of your yeah. shit. If you don't show where Dora is on the map, she's going <laughs> to get lost. Yeah, she'll just wander into the um, the rainforest <laughs> and be never seen again. <laughs> so, so it was like... <laughs> It was very innovative. New York Times, as well as a few other publications, heralded as like Pioneer Interactive Entertainment for Children, first of its kind. There was some research at the time that like, you know, could only go so far because it is a static episode, right? So when it fits in syndication, if you're a kid who doesn't go to preschool at all, so you just see Blue's Clues like three times a day or how many times it aired on Nick Jr., you just kind of learn the formula and also learn like it doesn't matter. Like you could like sort of get like fatigue. Yeah. Still. Had incredible numbers, did incredible growth. It was a new era for children's TV. But did Blue do it first? <laughs> we can't play any Blue's Clues music via Come On Good. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what kind of robot Viacom has either, but it, it listens to all media across all platforms at all times. And it's like, was that They're a like, fucking Brenda's Blues impression? Is was too that good. a fucking Blue's Clues <laughs> clip? And you're like, no, that was me humming. No. Mm. Send me your raw audio. <laughs> so, the question I have posed is: Was this is Blue's Clues really the first time TV tried engaging with their child audience that was watching? And the answer is yes. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> End of ep- Brenda's like, I see the clock. The answer is yes. Goodbye. The answer <laughs> is sort of, but no. Actually, the answer is just no. In the early 1950s, TVs were bad, really bad. They were yes. so bad you sometimes didn't get to see the whole commercial for an ad. <laughs> They would like film, they would like have an ad displayed and they wouldn't know if it was too big for the TVs because they they were bad. (laughs) Famously, there was a watch seller that was like selling watches and they were listed at $39.95, which I did the math is roughly $450 now, but it was seen as a good price for a watch at the time. Oh, but what the ad said was $39.95 and up. Some people went to go buy their watch and it wasn't $39.95. Oh, they were it was cut livid. Off. So they hired staffers from the network that this was to sit down 
and watch the programs on the TV to see if it was cut off. One of these people was named Harry Pritchett Sr. He got like a piece of cellophane film and put it over the TV so he could trace where the ad was. This gave him an idea. Uh-huh. Sometime in 1953, because I cannot find more than that, a show called Winky Dink and You aired. Winky Dink. It was created by Harry Pritchett Sr. and Ed Wyckoff, hosted by Jack Barry. Yes, the same Jack Barry from all the quiz show scandals. The lead character of Winky Dink and You was voiced by Mae Kestrel. Yes, the same Mae Kestrel that was Betty Booth. I have for you here... The Winky Dink and You theme song. We can play, I'm going to play some of. Yes, yes. Winky Dink and you, Winky Dink and me, always have a lot of fun together. Winky Dink and you, Winky Dink and me, we are pals in fair or stormy way. Yep, that's Betty Boop. <laughs> that that is uh just some just a little little taste of the Winky Dink and You theme song. It's gonna be stuck in my head for don't the rest worry. of hey, eternity. I can send you the full theme or full. I found like full episodes, so don't you worry. These are from CBS. I could not figure out if CBS still has rights over the fifties show. Like if they've kept up the rights or they don't really care, but. That's Winky Dink and You. It aired Saturday mornings at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time is what I could find from some old scans of like TV ads. And the premise of the show was viewers at home had a magic drawing screen, which is a green piece of like cellophane that mm-hmm. they could stick to the TV with static. And then you bought these Winky Dink and You kits for 50 cents. And it came with the cellophane, some crayons, and your magic hand eraser. You like rub your magic screen with your hand eraser, which is like a cloth. You stick it to the TV, and then you get your crayons, you can draw on the TV. The idea was because yeah. during during climactic moments of the episode, Winky Dink needed your help. So maybe he needed a bridge to cross the river, or an axe to cut down a tree. Or there's, I found this full episode where it's like, you like draw a car, and the car has to like go over a river, so you turn it into a boat, and then it has to like fly, so you give it a propeller on the front, and like, it's very funny watching the episode and not having the screen because like there's nothing there because they literally like move. <laughs> they're like moving the camera as if you drew a car. So that is how you're supposed to like partake in the Winky Dink and You program. Winky Dink and You is like a huge success. Huge success. Everyone loved it. It's one of those things where I'm like, everyone loved this and history has completely forgotten about it. I've never heard of this once in my whole fucking life. Yeah, no, never. never absolutely never. Never once. But I started looking into it and there's like, Tons of articles around like the early 2000s because it was like around the anniversary, you know, of like people reminiscing about the show. And I was like, I've never heard of this in my whole, whole ass life ever, even once. Mm-hmm. I asked my mom, like, if she had heard of this and she like vaguely remembered it because there was a, there is a revival in the late 60s from 1969 to 1973. Oh. So she was, she was like too old when they revived it, but she like remembered it being a thing. Mm-hmm. So I, was, I just had never heard of it, but it was extremely popular. Everyone loved it. It ran. The original run was 1953 to 1957. The kits were 50 cents, which was pretty fair. You did have to get them in the mail. Oh. So what issues do you see with this model, Brenda? I feel like some kids wouldn't get the kit and they would just draw on their TV with like a marker or some shit. (laughs) They either didn't get the kits or they didn't want to wait to get the kits, but they want to watch Winky Dink and You Saturday morning. And they would just draw on the TV 
TVs were like <clears throat> down payments on cars. <laughs> TVs. Yeah. Pieces of furniture back yeah. then. Like. It was not just like, <laughs> let's, you know, I didn't pull this up. Let me, let's see. Average price of a TV in 1950 let's say 55 in between when i was running in 1955 a tv cost over a thousand dollars so let's see what a thousand dollars in 1955 money is a thousand dollars in 1955 money is equivalent to the same buying power now as eleven thousand five hundred and fifty dollars oh my god tvs were like an investment in your family's entertainment for your life yeah that is almost what my car costs. <laughs> like a kid drawing on the TV and ruining it is like, wow, we uh we just wasted our entertainment budget for the next five years. <laughs> like, yeah, we just don't get a TV anymore, little yeah, Timmy. It wasn't canceled. It was production was halted, is how they phrased it, mm. to try and wait for technology to catch up because people were also getting concerned about the X-rays and the TV picture tubes because there used to be X-rays in TVs. <laughs> You might be wondering, like, yeah, I remember my parents being so afraid of me being near the TV. TVs for your parents were, like, were also very dangerous. Like, not just, like, bad for you socially to be in front of the TV. They were, like, literally dangerous. A kid probably should not have been drawing on the TV legitimately. They probably should not no. have been that close to their television for prolonged periods. The television should not have been in someone's house. <laughs> TVs were arguably too ahead of their time. They were very dangerous items. Everything in the 1960s household was trying yeah. to kill you. Like, Fiesta Wear had um, radiation and lead, and TVs were nuclear, yeah. and the floor had asbestos, and your pipes were made of lead. The like, fact that we made it past that I is wild, actually. How, how did anyone survive? I don't know. You know what? That just shows you the power of humanity, I guess, because it's <laughs> very wild that all of that was going on, right? Production was halted. It comes back in 1969 for a syndicated run of 64, 65 episodes. Hi, kids. Put your winky dink magic screen in front of your TV screen and rub it hard with your magic cloth to make it hold fast. And then be ready to help us with your magic crayon in another exciting adventure of Winky Dink and you! And that airs until 1973. That updated one is in color. Winky Dink is animated because we're in the 60s and 70s now. Like, we have more technology for that sort of stuff. Winky Dink goes quiet until the 1990s. Apparently, in the 1990s, <laughs> new Winky Dink and you kits were sold that had screen crayons and new digitized episodes of Winky Dink and you. I found one! Yeah, yeah, you can find some online. I found yeah. one. <laughs> I found you can find some online, like pretty affordable. I feel like they're like 40 bucks. I found one for. Yeah, it comes with the VHS and all of this mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Like and I was like, once again, what do you mean this happened when I was like alive? Hello. But people again, people love it. Like I found interviews like the rapper Ice-T apparently in an interview with like the New York Times for like when he was getting inducted to like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame broke into song about the Winking Dink and You show because they asked him like some of his favorite shows growing up. <laughs> oh my gosh. At the show's peak, it was moving more than 50,000 kits a week. Oh my god. 50,000 kits? A week! A week! Because these were kits you got weekly so you could watch Winking Dink and You the next week in the mail. Wait, you had to get a new kit every week? As far as I can understand, it came with a sheet, some crayons, and the erase, the erase, the magic or hand eraser. I don't think you got more than one Dang. sheet. 
I thought you just erased the sheet and used it again. <laughs> Shh, you're not thinking like a 1950s <laughs> businessman. <laughs> you need you need a new sheet now, kids. This one's tainted. Yeah, I mean, like the sheets, like static cling would work for a few times for sure. But I don't know how many people mm-hmm. realize that. And then you get the kid who like wants to keep whatever they drew, right? Yeah. Uh, the kid who eats it. <laughs> like I said, some celebrities even remembered it. Who was it? Bill Gates. Bill, William, William, Xbox, Bill, William, Microsoft, Xbox, Bill Gates. <laughs> was a huge fan of Winky Dink and you. <laughs> <laughs> I say was like he's not alive. Uh, <laughs> He's like, I have turned my back upon Winky Dink. Listen, there's a whole CNN interview article that he did just on Winky Dink and you about how cool it <laughs> what was. What the hell, Bill? Bill, why? I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It would be so funny if he brought up Winky Dink when he was talking about like the, the connect or some shit. He was like, he was like, I saw Winky Dink as a young child and I I just wanted to bring that to the mainstream. Yeah, I mean. We now have the connect where you can draw in the, far back from in the, the, the TV. Air. In the air. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, Brenda, a small bit of an episode of Winky Dink. Okay, I'm ready. All right, boys and girls. Winky has seen all the things that he left out when he took the pictures. So get out your erasing cloth right now. And let's erase our magic window. Don't press too hard. It's not necessary. These are magic crayons, and they come off easily. Just take your time, but make sure you get your magic window clean and clear. Fine. Now, what I want you to do is take your magic red crayon and put it right up against my finger. Would you do that? Right here. Okay? You ready to follow me now? I'm going to go slowly and draw a line across here. And you come right along with me. Okay? That's fine. This is going to be a nicest automobile, and we're going to have a swell trip. Oh, sure, Edgar looks very nice, Jack. But how do you know he can run? Aha, uh-huh. well, we're going on a trip with Edgar, and all it takes is a little winky-dink magic. Now, boys and girls, you all remember the magic word, winko. Now, I'm going to step out of here, and I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want you to say the magic word with me, all right? One, two, three. Winko! Winko sounds like a slur. <laughs> Wow, I'm really seeing it. <laughs> so you see, like, wow. you see, like, if you or if you're a kid and you watch this without the kit, you're not watching anything. All you're watching is you're no. just angry. You don't have the fucking kit. Yeah, there's nothing happening. No. There's nothing no. going nothing. on. This is like something like stoners would watch, like 1950s <laughs> stoners. This is their adventure time. I'm yelling. <laughs> so. I think we've come full circle because it's very funny to me. Winky Dink and You is more is much is clearly older in Blue's Clues when it comes to interactive entertainment for children. Clearly, mm-hmm. in the same vein, I do think if Winky Dink and You was around now, parents would still be angry like they were in the beginning of the 1990s that all it is is a long commercial to buy this Winky Dink and You kit. Yeah, they would be like, but nowadays it would be like an app yes. that you get on your iPad. Yes, and, and or it's something. like micro. It, it it's, would be an it's iPad transactions. Yeah. Like, oh, you're out you of, buy, like, you're out of Winky Dink magic. <laughs> you need to buy more magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So parents would still be mad. To me, it's wild that they made like Winky Dink and it was like super successful and sold a lot yeah. of stuff. And then like no one else really no. did that for several well, decades. Well, because it, they, even the reboot, the, re- the revival is like 69 to 73. And we both know what's coming in the late 70s. <laughs> so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. It's just like that idea of like, 
people had these ideas like how to entertain kids and monetize it but then people came up with other ways to entertain kids and how to monetize it and then you go through the late 70s through the early 90s until the cta is passed (laughs) yeah and then networks were forced to actually try to educate kids before selling them stuff like blues clues wasn't made with the intent of selling toys yes they sold a lot of toys toys. (laughs) (laughs) they sold a lot of toys and stuff but that wasn't it doesn't feel like that it was made with that as its main point it's not like gi joe or my little pony you know yeah but like History of children's television is so fascinating to me. And I bring it up so much on the show because it's just so important because like we know from research that like the media you watch stays with you for your whole life. I mean, look at look, they they just announced the fucking new X-Men show. Right. And everyone's like, whoa. Like, yeah. I love X-Men. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's just a continuation of the 90s show. Like it is important. And so it's always really fun, I think, to bring to the show like things where like people made stuff because they wanted to entertain kids and have make sure kids had a fun time because we don't get a lot of that especially now right in this era of nostalgia and reboots like i think that like a lot of people like oh it's nostalgia i'm like yeah it bugs me i mean it works on me but it bothers me and it doesn't bother me as like a lack of creativity thing as long as we're doing something new it bothers me because i'm like like yeah kids have bluey but what other new things are we giving kids like marvel superhero kids is like is just like the same characters that they see when their parents make them watch like the PG-13 movies. What, like who is giving kids new stuff? Like Cocomelon is garbage. It's just garbage. It's just like baby stimulation videos that never stop. It doesn't do anything for them besides overstimulate them. No. Peppa Pig, fuck you, Peppa. (laughs) Hate you. It's just like, it feels weird that weird like slash odd like we got lucky where like we got this very thin slice of like entertainment made for kids to entertain kids and also happen to get shows that were like for kids to buy toys mm-hmm. and that wouldn't happen without the cta apparently unless you remember your magic word wonko, <laughs> wonko. Wink- it's wonko i'm a fake it's wonko. i'm a fake winky dink fan that kid can lick my butt have a good night <laughs> <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Secret Histories of Nerd Mysteries. Our music was provided by Esperanza Asterion, and you can find more of her work at knifenun.bandcamp.com. Our introduction was narrated by Greg Aronica, and you can find him at Cafe3G on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find us at Nerd Mysteries on Twitter, Blue Sky, and TikTok. The show is edited every week by Brenda Snell. If you love this show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you consume your podcast content. This podcast is a proud part of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. See you for the next mystery, Mistorians! Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.